before we begin, I'd like to express appreciation of some some very nice flowers from the retreat. I put them on my shrine. No normal dinner. Flowers always a lovely, lovely sign. The brightness, the naturalness, and uh, and the givingness. Uh, it's a lovely, lovely gesture. So no more dinner. Much appreciation. Yes, and I hope your wisdom and tranquility is also flowering. <laughs> but like anything natural, it takes time, and you have to put it in the right soil, give it the right nourishment, sunlight, you know, <laughs> water, care, attention, and it'll grow. Um, natural process. Mm. This time I'd like to look into the topic of jhana, samadhi and jhana, and how that plays out and the various ways that uh, people have looked at this and considered this. Mm. So when we look into the sheet I presented, Mindfulness, Samadhi and Jhana. And so, start at number 14. Because I say that the ending of the Asawa, these fundamental kind of reflexes of drive that rushes, for example, into the world of time, the drive of becoming, that which makes us leaning forward. It's such a standard thing, we don't even recognize it as such, because we always imagine we're moving forward in time. Asava of sensuality, that which continually locates us in a sense world, which we can never really uh, finalize, never, never, <laughs> you know, and it's always, always full of phenomena that are coming and going, and yet we're in this seeking satisfaction and seeking stability in that. It's another powerful asawa, seeking security, seeking gratification in the sense realm. This is called karmasawa, karmasawa, karma, not kamma, which means action, but karma. And avijasawa, which is ignorance, the outflow of ignorance, or the corruption of ignorance, depending asava of ignorance. This means that we don't really notice the process. <laughs> because there's a sort of trance, uh, like a like a slight trance, the chitta is in a trance, and it keeps moving forward in time, thinking, oh well, we'll get to the end, we'll get to the place, we'll, we'll get to that place somewhere in the future, and <laughs> it's sort of rolling on and as it rolls on it concocts new futures to get to oh, tomorrow and then next year and you know, oh, when I get to this stage I'll get to that stage and when I get to this it still keeps creating it still is creating a future an expectation or a dread in the future mm. Mm and looking into the next thing, 
and how does this go to the next thing? This is a very uh, deeply rooted reflex that takes a lot of mindfulness and calm and resolve to stand against that flood of becoming. But in it with ignorance, you don't even try. <laughs> you just go with it. <laughs> and concoct more of the same. So people can be very full of all the things they've got to work out and plan and get done. And, and you know, Life can be about dealing with the future. Or planning it. Organising it. And of course, sensuality tumbling into that so we find the sense data aren't quite satisfying but oh I'll get another lot I'll try some other sort of sense data maybe that will be it so we keep going forward in the same field field of sense data sense data looking for the right one not really recognizing there isn't one yeah you know, this is so. This is ignorance, you know, or not seeing, not touching, not being clear. Mm. So, you know, well, what else is there? Well, you know, we seem to be in this sense realm. We seem to be in the world of time. What else is there? Well, the Buddha says, wake up. You know, when you experience gratitude, is that connected to time, or is it just the quality of heart? It's timeless, doesn't move forward, doesn't move back, isn't connected to sense data. It's just that it's the qualities of your own heart unfolding and expressing themselves. And there's some very beautiful qualities, very enjoyable qualities that could open there, that would give you deep happiness and wouldn't be running away from you all the time. So, so the recommendation, sort of the ending of these asava, depends on, and this is um, a sequence, it says depends on the first jhana. There is the case where a bhikkhu disengaged from sensuality, just unlock, step back. Viveka, disengaged, I translated disengaged, it can be also withdrawn. Sometimes you see this translation, withdrawn, or even secluded. It means a sense of you pulled back. Mm. Disengaged from unskillful qualities. You've pulled back from those. You've taken your energy out of that. You're not interested. You're not even going to fight with it anymore. You're just, just enough. You disengage from it. Withdraw energy. Mm. Enters and remains in the first jhana. And then as he's in that, or she's in that, regards whatever phenomena are there in this experience, connected with form, feeling, perceptions, formations and consciousness, are changeable and stressful. Turns the chitta away from that, inclines the mind to the deathless. This is peaceful, this is sublime, this is the stilling of all sankhara, Ibana. So I've left 
some considerable chunks of text out there. In this one, I'm just saying, you know, first of all, there is this, and this jhana stuff, and the Buddha's saying, in order to clear, get out of these reflexive patterns, it's a condition. Jhana is a condition that supports that. First jhana, then actually in this long quote, which I've extracted to pieces, also the second jhana, the third jhana, the fourth jhana. This is their all. Basically, the first jhana, you say that that's the bottom line. So this gives the mind enough stability, enough happiness, the stability to step out of time, because you've got a stability in the here and now, and enough happiness to step out of the pull of sensuality, which offers various kinds of pleasure. So you don't need that because you've got this. You don't need that future happiness because you've got the present moment, you feel contented. So this is the basically, you know, this is your, this is how it works, simple strategy. But that's not adequate. But that's the foundation. Then within that foundation, you could begin to explore these things, form, feeling, perceptions, formations, and consciousness. And these are called the five aggregates. And he sees all this, so any form as that which is subject to change. Physical form, psychological form, mental form, emotional form. And if you get your sensitivities around it, you feel that chitta itself takes a particular form. So we might even, you know, in ordinary parlance, we talk about being narrow-minded or broad-minded or hard-headed or soft-hearted or spacious and open mind. Yeah? We, we, we experience it as a form. And our language tells us that. And if you contemplate, you get to certainly get a sense of narrow-minded, there's a certain tightness, rigidity, limitation. And the chitta cannot see beyond its own boundaries. There's something about narrow-minded <laughs> which is generally a negative term, but the sense of having firm, simple, dogmatic, fundamentalist boundaries makes things very clear. This counts, everything else, dismiss it. So it gives security. So the chitta takes certain shapes as a form of, this is what I am. You know, I'm a fundamentalist, you know, neoliberal, patriarchalist, pagan. <laughs> whatever you want to be, you know, this is my standards. And outside of that, everybody else is not, this doesn't count. Yeah, so this is, say, an example of a narrow-minded thing, and it's certainly prevalent in human beings because it gives a sense of security and stability. We don't have to deal with too many ambiguous, and where we've got to be fluid and adapt and uncertain, and just, you know, practice with what's happening. We want to have some nice laid-down lines that we can follow, and that's attractive. So the chitta acquires a certain shape, and in, in, as chitta goes into more 
open qualities, its shape becomes broader and softer edged. Yeah, and this is what happens in samadhi, the chitta becomes wide, expansive and soft, softer in its textures. But the teaching here is any form, mental form, physical form of course changes, psychological form changes, so it's all changeable. None of this is actually a final, you know, final state. So rather than, oh I've got into this samadhi state, this is my true self, no, it just means your jitters in a nice open space at the moment. <laughs> but keep keep aware of that, don't get fascinated by it. Changeable. And it's subject to stress because if you hold on to something that changes, you generate stress for yourself and for others. So it's also the case that when we talk about narrow-minded as being a pejorative term, but you know it's also the case that it's nice to be open and spacious, but then somebody's got to feed the dog. <laughs> So somebody's got to sharpen up and get to the point. We can't just be in this open world, I'm timeless. Somebody's got to feed the dog, so, you know, like, let go of that and, and get to a point. You know, as long as you don't fixate on it as a permanent dog feeder, as your identity, that's fine. You can flex, you can flow. Feeling changes. Agreeable, disagreeable. We do not want pleasant feeling to change, but it does. So no point fixating that unpleasant feelings should not happen to me is uh, a delusion on all levels, physical level, emotional level, unpleasant feeling happens. But there could be a non-proliferation around it, not getting worked up and, and agitated around it one way or another. Um, perceptions, these are the impressions that we label things as perception. So this is a very large category. Some very obvious examples, you know. Um, clearly a human face, for example, is a very potent uh, phenomenon that we encounter, that we immediately sense. Something is checks in with it. Is it, is it friendly? Is it smiling? Is it warm? Is it is it, you know, we're looking for gestures in that. And we can read all kinds of things into people's faces about their character, which, you know, you know, he's a mean man because he's got a scar on his face. No, he just meant he fell downstairs when he was, when he was six. Not some kind of mean, brutal gangster, but he's got a scar on his face. We think, well, don't trust that guy. Well, you know, or she's a sweet person, got a lovely, sweet smile. Yeah, but she also happens to be <laughs> you know, a rather unpleasant character underneath it. So we're constantly duped by these perceptions that, that we get established around a human face. As we know, you know, politics is about face. And face can be very superficial, and we still buy into them. So this is one example of perception. Advertising is full of perception. You know, insurance policies, you know, everything from tires to dog meat to insurance policies is advertised by somebody who's smiling and happy. Because even though it doesn't make sense, we still get the notion that on a subliminal level, this is good stuff.
these are changeable and stressful. Formations, sankharas, these are the uh, responses that triggered off, triggered responses that come when perceptions touch us. We feel um, emotionally stirred, emotionally stirred and energized or aroused or withdrawn or confused or hurt or something or the other. You know, things are stirred and there's a bodily reflex that goes along with that on a very subtle level sometimes. Sometimes it's, it's really in your belly or your guts. Something cramps up or around your heart when something tightens up. It's not necessarily, you know, <laughs> kind of on the coarser level, but it could be internal metabolism. You find your breath rate is slowing down or slightly arrested because you don't feel comfortable in the situation or something doesn't feel comfortable in the situation. And we're sort of encouraging ourselves to really tune into that because it's giving us some fairly accurate understanding of what sankharas are running. It's telling you what's happening truly. It doesn't mean what's happening to you is actually <laughs> an ultimate truth. It's telling you where you're at now. So that's what you need to know. And they change. The whole thing is changeable. Sankaras are changeable. And if you hold on to them, there's stress. And they can throw you into stress. They can throw you into all kinds of emotional and mental turbulence when you engage with them. Panic reactions, aggression reactions, craving reactions, addictive responses. Hmm. With a feeling that if you follow this, you'll get the satisfaction. Hmm. And it doesn't work. Consciousness, consciousness here, this is that which presents phenomena to us. Generally what we're being presented is the consciousness coming in through the eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body and thinking mind, mano vijnana. This is my world, this is it. Okay, you know, so we base it upon that. But actually if you close your eyes, where did that go? If you close your ears, you know, the eyes you can close, the others are not so easy to close, particularly to the mind. So fundamentally the mind consciousness keeps telling you who you are and where you are. Uh, and all that is changeable and stressful. Because it's, it's reading or it's, it's presenting impermanent, unsatisfactory phenomena as this is where you are. Okay. It's implanting you in a dimension of unsatisfactory, changeable phenomena, consciousness. So someone who's cultivated this jhanic potential, the ability to disengage and stay in a kind of a, a calm, centered state, is able to turn away. Turn away not interested. Now what is this turning away? We might say, I've lost interest in rock and roll. Yeah, I was really into it when I was 20, 25, I've lost interest in it. That's a turning, the jitter is just not, doesn't, doesn't do anything for me, you know. 
is turned away. It doesn't mean I've physically shifted it, it just means I don't light up with it anymore. The chitta has lost interest, I've turned away. Mm. I've turned away from teddy bears and sugary sweets, it's just finished. So this is the turning, and so the person who's cultivated this inner deepening, they're really not into you know, forms and shapes, and they're not really into buying stuff and impressions. They just, all that stuff is just superficial enough. And this is uh, the experience called Nibbida, Nibbida. And you might come across that as the verbal form Nibinda, Nibindati. Means you've turned away, you're disenchanted, the spell is broken. Mm. And the spell is broken in terms of the spell of the senses and also the spell, the hypnosis of time. You're just not, not into that. Going on, progressing, being success, getting things right. In the future it's going to be better. You're not into that. Just, you know, I'll, I'll be here now and cultivate, develop and linger in what's skillfully arising now. That's what I trust. Mm. So turning away, turning towards the deathless. Mm. Uh, source of, uh, <laughs> this is what the Buddha went forth for, in search of the deathless. Mm. And uh, <laughs> we need to pause there. What on earth that could be referring to? But it is associated with the ending of these asawa. There's a clarity, ending of ignorance. Uh, in that clarity, the quality of time and becoming and identity does not manifest. The, the pulling, the hypnosis of the senses does not manifest. And, the, and so there's a famous uh, uh, dialogue in, in the suttas where the elder Sariputta and the elder Putita, I think, two arahants, they're talking about this deathless stuff. And one's saying, is it the case that when, you know, when you withdraw from the six senses, there's nothing? And he says, no, I wouldn't say that. Is it the case that when you withdraw from the six senses, there's something? No, I wouldn't say that. Is it the case there's something and nothing? No, I wouldn't say that. They say, well, what would you say? I'd say you're trying to think about something that can't be thought about. You can't get a conceptual definition of this. So we, we still keep trying. <laughs> just, you, you know, it says, but it is peaceful. This is sublime. This is peaceful. This is agreeable. Uh, and it's when, when the phenomena, when the marks, when the things we normally construct reality out of fade or no longer followed, there's this experience of something open that can't really be measured. But the heart feels it as freedom from stress, freedom from all kinds of pressure. Now, as I was saying, we were going to <laughs> 
look into jhana, but that gives you a kind of sense of where does this thing fit into the bigger picture. So in this particular extract, I've condensed what the bigger picture is. Bigger picture is how jhana fits in in this dispensation into um, insight. Insight is the witnessing of these khandhas as changeable and stressful. That's one of the qualities of insight. You're actually not not so much modifying the material that is soothing and steadying and warming and comforting form and creating soft and steady perceptions. That's good enough. Now you review that still. So it's a different way of proceeding. Now you're witnessing it. And if we go to the Anapanasati Sutta, as I suggested at the beginning of the retreat, this is what's called the fourth tetrad, describes the process of witnessing. This is the vipassana process. First three tetrads refer to the samatha process, steadying, calming, soothing body, steadying, calming, soothing the sankharas of the mind, of the heart, and then gladdening, steadying, cleaning out chitta which we'll talk about in due course. So all these are you're working with the material to change the texture of it, if you like. And the first one you're just witnessing. The fourth one you're just witnessing. So what is this jhana stuff? Well, the extract 15. Knowing knowledge of the ending of the asava as it has come to be occurs to one who is concentrated and not to one who is not concentrated. Concentration is the path because non-concentration is no path at all. That's pretty straightforward. <laughs> so it's saying, you know, if you want this stuff, you've got to, you've got to be concentrated. Mm. Now we go to number 19. This is the Engutra Nikaya 5. 28, although it, it's repeated many times in the suttas, this particular description of what the jhanas are, or right-factored noble, right concentration, five-factored noble, right concentration. If you remember earlier, we talked about wrong concentration. So let's modify when the Buddha says, you know, you need concentration, you need right concentration. What is this? Disengaged from sensuality, that's Viveka again. Secluded or withdrawn, Viveka, from unskillful qualities. Remains in the first jhana. There is rapture and ease or pleasure. How you translate this? Rapture and pleasure, piti sukha. Rapture and ease, refreshment and ease, piti sukha. Born from disengagement that arises naturally when one is disengaged, this stuff just starts welling up. You don't create it, but you withdraw from the conditions that block it. You, know, you let go of the conditions that block this sort of welling up of the heart. And this process is accompanied by vitaka vichara. So, again, translated this as placing and sensing. 
but what you're placing and sensing is the thinking mind. Placing and sensing the thinking mind onto what the heart is doing. Now when you place the thinking mind, you're not adding a lot of thought. You're just placing that thoughtfulness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is called sometimes called initial thought or initial thoughtfulness. Mm. You definitely bring something to mind. What's that? Yeah. And then vichara, you stay with it, linger in that, so you begin to sense it. How is this? How is this? How is this? How is this? So you see, though it's associated with thinking and thoughtfulness, it's actually more accurately described as uh, the, coming from the energy that supports thought. So minimalizing is really the term to bring to mind as minimal point sense. Yeah. Think short, listen long. Think short, listen long. And mm, mm, how is that? How is that? So, so we have these factors. So disengagement seems to be the parent of all of them. Rapture, pleasure, and then this vitakup. So because one is mind is disengaged from wandering everywhere else, <laughs> then okay, now we can use it to, 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 to how is that? And so this quality of uplift is then spreads through the entire body, permeates and pervades and suffuses and fills this very body. That's fairly emphatic, isn't it? Permeates, pervades, suffuses and fills. I think he's making a point there, saying the same thing four times over. This is oratory. This very body, with the pleasure and ease born of disengagement. There's nothing of his entire body that is not pervaded by rapture and ease. Okay? Just as if a skilled bathman would pour powder, like soap powder, into a brass basin and mix it with water so it became, instead of dry powder, it became kind of a suds. Yeah, like frothy suds. Now all the moisture is in the powder which was dry, is now taken up all the moisture and turned into something quite like a ball. Yeah, so it's dry powder now, it's a ball of bath powder. And though it's full of water, it doesn't drip. That's a nice point. So this is the simile that's used for the first jhana. So you talk about this very body, well, you know, what does that mean? It means this very body, this body that you're living in. Uh, mm. Doesn't drip, it means the pleasure doesn't run out. You don't spin out, you don't kind of have yourself getting thrown out into ecstatic trances. It's contained in that the body actually contains the pleasure. And that's a useful footnote because people can experience uh, sort of quite agreeable, even ecstatic states in meditation 
and they go out of their body. They kind of get hyper. The body doesn't contain it. Yeah. Because what happened was they got excited by the pleasure and they dropped the body and they went into the feeling. Or they went into the psychological state, the shape that arose, this kind of bright lights or something like that. They went into that and they dropped the body. So we're saying here the body acts as a kind of grounding medium and you saturate it with this pleasure. So it both comforts and eases the body and works the stiffness and the numbness out of the body, brightens and vitalizes the nervous system and also stabilizes the mind when it's met by pleasure. Pleasure can be very exciting. So this is this is the first. Then you see if we go through the others, you'll see that every one of them has some kind of body in it. The second one still has this rapture and pleasure with it, but now instead of the rapture and pleasure that comes from just being cool, disengaged, it's now something that comes out of the concentrated state. So there's a the state of the mind being collected together, its energies are consolidated. There's a happiness that comes with that. And again, this is spread through the entire body. So again, it's in the body. The image here is used as a lake with water welling up from within it having no inflow from other places. So it's not like it's coming from any sense data. The body itself is just has this quality welling up within it. And the third, the pleasure has cooled down to something more like serenity, equanimity. It's just even. It's no longer bubbling. And again, mindful and alert senses pleasure with the body remains in the third jhana equanimous and mindful pervades suffuses permeates and fills this very body once again and the fourth jhana which you can look up yourself so this is now the pleasure has cooled down to just straight even serenity Instead of the tides, the welling up tides, you've got something that's very cool and steady, and there's mindfulness. So here the example is someone sitting wrapped from head to foot with a white cloth. Just like this, there's nothing of the entire body that is not pervaded by bright, pure awareness. And so these are the four jhanas, and in this particular extract, it says... With this experience, okay, that's good. And then you step back just as if one person were to reflect on another or a standing person were to reflect on a sitting person. There's a sense of stepping back in that condition and reviewing. Oh, what's this feeling stuff? What's the form? What's the formations? So then you review the very structures of that experience and from this various higher knowledges and liberation can occur so that stepping out and reflecting is the insight process that's all well 
pretty amazing stuff. But just to leave that there for the moment, uh, word jhana is used in a couple of ways actually, and translated in a couple of ways. Sometimes it's translated as meditation or meditate. So the first meditation, jhana, and the word to meditate, jayati. So it's a verb. So when the Buddha says meditate because here are roots of trees, there are empty places, meditate because do not regret, do not waste your time, lest you regret it later. When he says meditate, he says jayati, pick away. So um, he's referring to do, do this, I guess, or enter this process. You know, enter this process, deepen into this process. Uh, and the other way it's translated is absorption, absorb, soak it up. You know? So cultivate and then soak up the results of your practice of mindfulness. Linger, drink it in and soak it up in your body, as you can see. So you can make an effort to do this. It requires skill and it requires not just brutal willpower, but a skillful, clear resolve and, and practice. And so we see slightly contradictory or complementary, depending on how you, how you um, read it. So here's the qualities that remind us the practice is actually enjoyable. Majjhiminikaya 19.8, extract 10. When the body is tired, the mind becomes strained. When the mind is strained, it is far from concentration. So we're not straining. Accordingly, I steadied my heart internally quieted, brought it to singleness and concentrated it. I didn't strain it. I steadied it. Make an effort to steady it. Restrain, steady. Another one. Samyujnikaya 5540. One dwells diligently, gladness is born. When one is gladdened, rapture is born. When the mind is uplifted by rapture, the body becomes tranquil. One tranquil in body experiences happiness. The mind of one who is happy becomes concentrated. When the mind is concentrated, phenomena become manifest. The one whose body is tranquil and feels pleasure, the mind becomes concentrated. Majjhiminikaya 11835 so we see, well, clearly saying there's pleasure, there's rapture, yeah, gladness. This is the this is the this is the foundation for concentration. And in occasions, he said, exert, make an effort, exert yourself in this direction.
extend your energies in that direction. And so this can be applied to really keep pushing against that reflex of time and becoming and identification. Keep standing your ground against the pressure to become and have and keep resisting the pull out into media, into nibbling, into playing games, into you know the things that can draw us out. Just exert and exert the right kind of energy into this process. Now, in the finer details of that, um, the Buddha, as I've mentioned before, refers to signs, nimitta, signs, and uh, this term refers to like, uh, uh, well, what does I mean? Okay, so. If you think of a friend of yours, just for a moment you bring their name to mind and flash. Ah, and a sign pops up. Oh, that's, you know, Jody. You get a sort of emotional tingle comes up. That's a sign. Emotional tingle comes up. That's a sign. Um, You know, you get a flash sign. Or you think, oh, tax revenues and flash, a sign of dread comes up. <laughs> That's a sign. It's a very immediate, psycho-emotional, <laughs> somatic signal. Got it? And so, as I was using the parable of a cook, the person who's you know, practicing mindfulness and, and full awareness and with diligence, but not noticing the sign is considered incompetent. <laughs> because they're probably just steamrolling away with, I've got to do this, I've got to get this practice together, I'm not going to be mindful, how many factors of mindfulness are there? Really absorbed in what I'm doing, actually not listening to where the mind picks up. And as you're cultivating your mindfulness of breathing, you know, where, what place, what conditions where you feel, oh, that's it. Something bright, something settling in that. Not straining, not struggling, just being touched by the breathing, being touched by it. And then the beauty the way that it happens by itself and a natural warm fluid energy of breathing and you oh that is so agreeable <laughs> you know naturally you, you, you've got to be disengaged from other forms of input because it's subtle you pick up the signs and when you get the sign dwell upon it linger upon it you know this is where the heart is taking it up. It's entering from the body into the heart. The heart is really getting warmed by that. As it warms, and it's encouraged and gladdened. Naturally, it concentrates because it's getting, its needs are getting met. 
it doesn't want to go anywhere else. This is where it feels good, so it stays there. This is called concentration. And a topic is kind of relatively, I hope, reasonable, <laughs> at least. But notice, rather like wrong concentration, you can get wrong jhana. And I've given you a, a, a quote here, somewhere. This is from Majjhiminikaya 108.26. And it's a kind of punning, humorous um, episode. Because the person is getting sensual lust limiters. They're getting nice glowing signs, but they're associated with sensuality. <laughs> And they're absorbing into those. So he meditates, jayati, he fixates on these, these glowing images and impressions. He's getting a little bit excited by some kind of fantasy or another. And then he just does a kind of punning um, sequence on the word jhana. Says he, he pajayati, he nijayati, he apajayatis. So they translate this as he... He pre-meditates, he out-meditates, and he mis-meditates. So these are just all playful, um, playing with the word jayati. So he's saying you kind of jayati, you unjayati, you overjayati, you disjayati. You know, he's saying it's all the skewed up jhanas. <laughs> and so, so he says it's also obsessed by ill will. You fixate on something by slow, by the hindrances, essentially. That says the blessed one did not praise that kind of meditation. Uh, so, obviously, ways that people can get it wrong. Majima 50, 13, that is a sequence of animals in this particular passage. I've just taken one, and they're all comical. Just as a donkey standing by a doorpost or a dustbin or a drain meditates. <laughs> This is how the foolish meditator standing by the drain or dustbin or trash heap fixated upon it. You know, so it's obsessive, hypnotized. So there's the Buddha's words on it. And certainly there's a good amount of mitya samadhi that people experience where they fixate on an object and go slightly hypnotized. And they even get into psychic states uh, that there's no wisdom occurs so they get unbalanced by absorbing into psychic phenomena uh, strange energies paranormal energies glowing rapture ecstatic experiences and they just wow fixate upon it and then the thing blows up they get emotionally or psychologically unbalanced and sometimes dogmatic and unfortunately the whole issue is further complicated by the fact that the commentarial tradition or the commentarial manual, the master manual of the Theravada commentary, the Visuddhimagga, presents jhana rather differently from the suttas. So, to digress a little, we have very early Buddhism which is what the suttas represent. They're not exactly what the Buddha said, but they are a, a, a pretty good, uh, it's as good as we're going to get to uh, an edited version 
of what the Buddha was talking about. And this probably took place around the 4th century um, BC, maybe the 3rd century, the first 150 years or so after the Buddha's demise, they were getting all this stuff together. You also have in the canon, they're saying they did this at the First Council, which is very unlikely that they did this thing in two months, put the whole canon together. Um, so it's seemingly, you know, and then what occurs is around 268, I think, to 234, you get the Emperor Ashoka arises in India, who's the first major big-time emperor, conquers and surveys a huge mass, almost all of the Indian subcontinent, comes under his sway, and then he converts to Buddhism. So, okay, so now, wow, you know, this Buddhism and the Sangha have got a, the most powerful person on the continent is backing them, <laughs> is supporting them. So there's a lot of, you know, oh, you know, this is a tremendous input. And of course, in this time, lots and lots of people are practicing the Dhamma anyway. And they never sort of, and they've got different views about things. And so the emperor says, okay, you guys, everybody get together, because you're quarreling, you're disputing, you have different opinions, let's get together and sort it out. And so they get together, and there's this big synod at Patna, to about 250 BC, and they have various debates and so forth. And one particular branch called the Analysts, the Vibhajavadins, they're called the Analysts, they seem to, according to them, they win the day. And their process is very much on analysing phenomena with extremely refined scrutiny. And they create an Abhidharma, you know, which is this kind of extremely succinct but precise analysis of all mental phenomena but it breaks the mind up into tiny mind moments this then seems to get the backing of the emperor great and the other schools they go after different parts of india so anyway this particular lineage the vajabhadin lineage sort of comes down into sri lanka and there through various um, um, history and backing and so forth it becomes called theravada the way of the elders. And a uh, certain point, again, I think about 5th century AD, this is nearly a thousand years after the Buddha, the major monastery there, they invite this scholar, Buddha Gosa, over, let's get all this stuff wrapped up into a nice package before we lose it, you know, because we get famines, we get invasions, we don't want to lose the Dhamma, let's get all this wrapped up. So he says, okay, so he presents... They get the suttas together. By this time, they're reciting and even writing them down. They wrote them down about the first century. And then they start doing recitations. And he says, let's do the compendium. What's the wisdom of how to practice this? So he creates this meditation manual, Mistudi Mabhat, which is the, the inherited wisdom of this particular school, the analysts. And it's pretty analytical. But one thing it does is it presents different meditations as either samatha or vipassana and creates them as separate. And in this particular understanding, jhana is a state that you get into through focusing on a subtle nimitta 
that appears in the mind through gazing at an object. So if you gaze at some disc, glowing disc, till it becomes established on your retina, then you gaze in your mind, you gaze at that, you get this subtle light appears in the mind, and you focus on that. And so then you get into this jhana state, which takes a quite a considerable amount of effort and work to do, um, but it's also disembodied. You're not in your body, you're in some kind of mental state that you've generated in, in your mind. You're focusing on a mentally generated phenomenon, a subtle light, um, and you're disembodied. Uh, and they said, well, actually, this stuff, if you do it, it's kind of nice because you bliss out, but then you don't get any wisdom because your mind is actually locked into that state. It's like a hypnosis and you're locked in, so you don't get any wisdom from it. So, although it's nice, it's a bit of a waste of time. The best thing to do is dry insight, where you analyze phenomena, and you get this microscopic mindfulness to know every moment passing as arising and passing. And so various meditation lineages have taken up that particular understanding. Most obviously the uh, Burmese Satipatthana. Notice my moments arising and passing. Uh, anicca. And don't go into pleasure, because you go into pleasure, you get into jhana, then you get stuck in jhana. You don't want that. It's dead end. So withdraw. So you get quite a... I'm summarising it. Perhaps I'm... It's best my understanding in a brief way. It's a complex topic. But so... What I'm saying is that it's very difficult to relate the suttas jhanas to this other form. And um, if we're actually looking at the Anapanasati Sutta, I would suggest we go with this particular kind of jhana, which is an, clearly and obviously an embodied experience, because that body keeps coming in with every jhana, and you're permeating your entire body in that process. And also you can develop insight within that. Uh, that's what the Sutta says. So... That's what I suggest we bear in mind. And bear in mind the process is not hypnagogic. Um, it doesn't involve an intense scrutiny. It involves heartful appreciation. Heartful appreciation. Withdrawal into the heart and gladdening the heart and comforting the body through a glad heart, and so the two begin to unite at the level of energy. The energy is then happy, gladdened, and suffuses the body. Uh, and this quality of suffusion, it's like an expression of heart. <laughs> you know, so how do you do suffusion? How do you do suffusion? Hmm? What's the suffusion technique? Well, say you bring your granddaughter to come running in and give you a bunch of flowers and you suffuse with joy. <laughs> right? That's how you do it. It happens. 
when the nimitta arises, I've used your granddaughter as a nimitta. Most people love their granddaughters if they have them. Yeah. So something touches your heart, and the heart, ah, oh, and it, it spreads its energies. So this is what we find is a gladdening place in our practice, and then we just enjoy. Let, let yourself soak in it. And then the qualities of the energy spread through the body and the heart, and you feel refreshed. Mm. So it's a kind of reflex, actually, uh, a skillful reflex. We become subtle and quiet in order to allow this process to occur. Mm.